Good morning. Let's turn our attention now to our Old Testament reading. First of all, Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. This is God's holy word, so let's give it all our attention now. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the, of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But like men they transgressed the covenant, there they dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. Also there is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. And our New Testament text, our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 12. Verses 1 through 14. Matthew 12, 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out 
and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now. Our gracious Lord and God, we thank you for speaking to us so clearly in your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and the clarity of his words. But, O oh Father, unless your Spirit uh, comes and takes this word and opens our hearts to receive it, we know that we will be blind and deaf to it. We won't respond in faith, but in unbelief. So we pray that by your Spirit, by your, by your Holy Spirit's mighty power, you would take the things of Christ and declare them to us and write them on our hearts that we might know him and love him, trust him and follow him. We ask this for his dear sake. Amen. Last, uh, last Lord's Day morning, we are in the end of Matthew chapter 11, which closes with those glorious and wonderful words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And it's no accident then that as Matthew is, is writing his gospel, right, he moves from that statement of our Lord Jesus, come and I'll give you rest to a controversy over the day of rest, over, over the Sabbath day. Uh, this, this, is, this account here is, is, is rich with irony. You have the Pharisees. Jesus is going to accuse the Pharisees, by the way, in chapter 23, of laying heavy burdens on the people of Israel, um, uh, of, of, of laying legalistic heavy burdens on them. Uh, they're telling Jesus and his disciples, that they don't know how to properly rest on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day. They're not keeping the Sabbath right. Those who are laying the heavy burdens are, are accusing the one who's saying, I'm come to give you rest, of not understanding what the Sabbath is all about. You see the irony there. Jesus is here. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's promising perfect peace, perfect rest. His eternal kingdom, the doors flung wide open. Come in, come to me, come in. And find that rest. And the Pharisees are saying, no. No, and don't you tell us what to do with this day of rest either. Don't tell us what to do with the Sabbath. They've, 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 taken, they've taken what God has given to them in the Sabbath, which is supposed to point them to the Lord of the Sabbath, Christ himself and the rest he gives. They've taken that. They've, they've subverted it. They've twisted it to their own ends. They've made it about serving themselves rather than worshiping the Lord. They've made it about uh, a self-righteousness rather than resting in his righteousness. Now, it's easy to stand here, isn't it, and point the finger at them. Say, oh, those, those bad Pharisees, at it again. Um, but, but we're looking in the mirror, aren't we? Pointing the finger right back at ourselves. Um, because we are also, like them, prone to make our religion a matter of outward performance rather than devotion to the Lord from the heart. We're, we're inclined to make good works, which we're called to do. We're inclined to make those about building our resume of righteousness before the Lord rather than gratitude to God for the gospel of His grace. Um, we're so prone to, to, to take apart, to divorce good works from obedience to God 
and have, 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 uh, have, our, have, our, have our law-keeping be not about devotion to the Lord, love for the Lord, commitment to Him, but just about feeling better about ourselves and doing, uh, doing things to, 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 to bolster and buttress our pride. We are prone in all this to reject Christ, uh, to, to deny His Lordship over us, over our actions and over our hearts. And so, like the Pharisees, Jesus holds out eternal rest. And He holds it out, in particular, on His Sabbath day. But we turn away and we go back to the old heavy burdens of self-righteousness. And so, we need to hear Christ's words here. We need to hear His words to the Pharisees. We need to hear them to ourselves. As He calls us here in the text to repent of hypocrisy, to repent of legalism, and to submit ourselves to Him and to give ourselves uh, to obedience for Him, all for, his, all for His sake. So, brothers and sisters, two, two lessons uh, that our Lord draws out for us here. Uh, first of all, the Lord of the Sabbath. This is verses 1 through 8. We see here the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus and His disciples are walking through some grain fields. It's the Sabbath day. They're hungry. The disciples start picking some of the grain. Right? A natural thing to do. Um, and they start, they start eating the grain. And the Pharisees see it. Um, they must have been watching with eagle eyes to see. You know, oh, there go the disciples. It's the Sabbath. They're in the grain field. Do you think they're going to take it? Right, they were there watching. Uh, so Jesus' disciples do this, and the Pharisees, the Pharisees come down hard and come down fast. They come to Jesus. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What is their desire? Why are they saying this? Do they, do they have a holy zeal for the Lord's day? Do they, do they have a desire to see God's name honored and, 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 and His church kept pure? Or is their desire to score a point against Jesus? You can hear almost, I think, a note of self-righteous triumph in their voices as they come to him. Your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. They've caught him in a mistake, they think. They've caught Jesus in a sin, and they can, they can gloat in, over, over him in it. And, and um, it's a nothing less than in the Sabbath, right? This is, this is a good one in their minds. He's breaking the Sabbath. The Sabbath is... Huge for the Jews, of course. Um, just a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, during the time of the Maccabees, the Jews were in the midst of a violent revolt against their, uh, the Seleucid Empire, which was over them at the time. And uh, uh, they were being led in this revolt by the Maccabees, but um, they wouldn't fight on the Sabbath, even if they were being attacked. They, they would keep that day so holy that they would refuse to defend themselves. They'd let themselves and their, their families, their young ones, be slaughtered rather than break the Sabbath. Right? This just gives you a sense of how committed they are to this, how important this is for them. Um, of course, God's, God's Word doesn't, doesn't spell that out for, for them. Over the years, they've added on these layers and layers of, of tradition and, 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 and kind of they're, they're putting a fence around the law. Well, if, if we put the fence here, uh, ten feet back from the line of sin, then, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll be extra safe. But then the next generation backs the fence up a little more. Well, let's, let's do 15 feet, 20 feet. And they, they keep pushing the, the fence of the law out and, and adding these restrictions to the Sabbath day. 
Uh, so this is where the Pharisees are coming from. This is their mindset as they look at Jesus and his disciples here. They are the champions of strict Sabbath observance. But then they see Jesus come, and he seems to be throwing so much of that out the window. Uh, he, he's here with, with his band of, of, of common, uneducated disciples, eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, right? So much of the time. He's mingling with the needy. He's mingling with the lowly. Um, uh, and, 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 and he's trampling all over their, their Sabbath, they think. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? That, that is, in essence, their question. Who does he think he is to break one of the Ten Commandments just on a whim? But Jesus, they make this accusation to him, and he turns the tables, right? Um, he goes to Scripture, and he shows them that they are actually the ones at fault, not him uh, or his disciples. He tells them two things here. Um, first, he tells them, he points out to them that they have not accepted who he is. You've not accepted who Jesus is. Um, he, he points them to this episode in King David's life when David was on the run for his life. He was in great danger. He and his men are in the wilderness. They're starving. And they, ha- they, they come across God's house and they find something to eat there. Um, they find the bread that the law said was only for the priests to eat. It's there. It's, in, it's the bread of the presence in the tabernacle. And it's set apart as holy to God. And no one else is supposed to eat it. But David... It's, it's right at a time of emergency, unique circumstances, a unique person, the king of Israel in a unique circumstance. The Lord's anointed here, and, um, and David understands that in this situation, it's actually right for him to take the bread and eat the bread and, and, and have his man eat it as well. Um, it's not that David was above God's law or that um, might makes right, that he, well, you know, the law is for everyone else but not for the king. Um, but it's that in this moment, because of David's importance as the Lord's anointed, uh, that this was right for him to do. No one questioned David in this. So Jesus is saying, you know that story. You don't say David was sinning there. David is lesser than I am. Right? He's making this argument from the lesser to the greater. If that was right for David to do, surely I, being who I am, Right, I am not. I am not in sin here. Jesus is claiming a higher status than David, higher uh, privileges than David. And you wouldn't. No one else would talk. No other teacher in Israel would make this kind of an argument, setting themselves up as as greater than David, as greater than the greatest king Israel had ever had. Um, but David's nothing compared to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. He gives another example: the priests. In the temple. Right? Look at the priests in the temple. What are they doing every Sabbath day? It's their hardest day of work. They're doing the sacrifices. They're, they're leading the worship. They've got all this stuff going on. It's a hard day of work for the priests in the Sabbath. They're, they're breaking the Sabbath, aren't they? And yet they're guiltless because God's law has commanded them to do this. This is what their role is. This is who they are. This is what God's called them to be. It's not counted as Sabbath-breaking. And then Jesus takes these two arguments, right? I'm greater than David. I'm greater than the priests. Um, and then he drops the final bomb in verse 6. He says, I say to you that one greater than the temple is here. That must have just shocked 
the Pharisees to hear him say that. The temple, the temple is the heart of, of Jewish religion. It's the heart of, 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 of the covenant. It's God's presence in the midst of his people. The symbol of, of that great core of the covenant. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. The place where the sacrifices have made. The, the very throne of God on earth. And Jesus says, I am greater than the temple. Far greater than the temple. Right? A new, a new, a new, uh, uh, the new temple is here. Uh, the, 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 the new creation is dawning. The very tectonic plates of redemptive history are shifting as Jesus comes, as he arrives. And he's, he looks and he tells them the temple was just a shadow pointing forward to me, to who I am. It was just the dress rehearsal. The reality's here. But they're still holding on to these old shadows and types. The Lord of the covenant himself is here. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. He is the temple. God's presence with his people. And then he adds in verse 8. He's greater than the temple, he says, then in verse 8, that he is the son of man, this figure prophesied in Daniel 7 as the king who would come with uh, both, both divine characteristics and human ones who would come and rule over the kingdom of his people in the end times. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the son of man, I am that king, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the king of the Sabbath. Pharisees, Jesus is the king of the Sabbath. Are you going to tell him what to do with his day? tell him what to do with the law that he himself gave. Now, the Pharisees are not stupid. They should know this. Everything that Jesus has said and everything that Jesus has done throughout his ministry, we've seen so much of it in these chapters of Matthew, um, it all bears this out, doesn't it? That, That this is indeed who Jesus is. Who else could say the things he says and do the things he does? Right? It, it, is, it is so clear from the Gospel that this is who Jesus is, that He's not lying with these claims. So the Pharisees see that, but they shut their eyes against it. They hate it. They won't have it. They rebel against it. They won't submit. Why not? Why don't they see? Why won't they accept this Lord of the Sabbath? I think it's tied to... I think it's tied to the next thing Jesus says. The next thing he... So he's, he said, you've not accepted who I am. And then the next thing he... The next part of his argument here is you've not accepted or understood the fundamental nature of, of the covenant of grace in the first place. Um, they're not accepting Jesus, but they're also not accepting the whole testament, the heart of it, the, what, what the covenant is that God's made with them. Verse, verse 7 Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. He's quoting Hosea 6, verse 6, which we read, we read earlier. In Hosea 6, God is judging his people for their hypocrisy. Um, in Hosea 6, the first few verses, the people are, are talking good. It sounds right. It sounds like they're repenting. It sounds like they are asking for forgiveness. It sounds like they're counting on God's faithfulness and turning again. But as the chapter there unfolds, it becomes clear their repentance is only skin deep. It's a shallow thing. The Lord says, what will I do with you, faithless people? 
You are like a morning cloud or like the early dew that goes quickly away. And then God, God brings there the heart of his covenant lawsuit against his people verse, is, is verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God's saying to his people in Hosea 6, Jesus is taking it as well and saying it to his people in Matthew 12. This is the heart of the covenant. It's not the outward rites. It's not the, the, the fixtures, the, the visible aspects of it. Yes, they're important. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. But, but it's the heart of devotion to God. It, it's not just about obeying the outward form of the law, the letter of the law. But it's about a heart that is devoted to God and loves Him for His own sake and loves your neighbor as yourself for his sake. And, 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 and the, 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 to have God himself at the center of obedience. Right, there, there's a kind of morality there which, which um, it's just do we, trying to do good things without any reference to God. And it's not righteousness. It's not full of devotion to him. So the Pharisees have, as it were, taken the covenant, taken this thing God has given them, and they've tried to write God out of it. Uh, write his grace out of it. Write heart-level obedience out of it and make it, a, make it just about outward things. And they've done this with the Sabbath. They've made their obedience about themselves. They've made the, the Sabbath something that they can keep because they've, they've uh, put in all these, uh, put all these outward things in, all these, all, these, all these laws that are about the outward thing that they can achieve so they don't have to deal with their sin issues in their hearts and don't have to deal with devotion to God from the bottom of their hearts. So they stand there looking at the Lord of the Covenant and they hate Him uh, because He's exposing their sin, isn't He? And again, brothers and sisters, we're not so different from these Pharisees. Um, Our hearts are often the same way, right? Our devotion to God is often pretty shallow and our uh, uh, our, our worship, we come into the worship and uh, we sing the hymns, but our hearts aren't always in it. We confess our faith, but our hearts aren't always in it. We, we confess our sin, but our hearts aren't always in it. We, we, uh, we, we, we hear the word, but we don't always give our full selves to it. God doesn't just want the outward show of coming to worship. He wants the whole person. He wants the whole you from your heart. Um, this is what this is what the covenant is about. This is the essence of, of the covenant, centered on Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the first point Jesus teaches here. That's the first lesson that he gives us. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Then he goes on, and in the next, in the next account here, in verses 9 to 14, we see the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath. So in the next, the next uh, account here, the Sabbath conflict here that we see next is in the synagogue. The synagogue is where the Jews would meet on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day, and hear God's word read and taught. So Jesus, um, Jesus goes into the synagogue, as was his practice on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are there, and they're again watching him carefully, trying to trap him in something. And they, they, they see this man whose hand is crippled, uh, whose hand is withered, as the text says. And they see an opportunity here to try to trap him again. And uh, they, they, they know that Jesus is full of compassion. They know that he has the power to heal this man if he wants to heal this man. So they try to trap him. Verse 10, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
as Jesus so often does, he answers their question with his own question. And he says, um, he, he, he takes it out of the abstract and he makes it personal for them. He says, which of you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? All of them, right? Every one of them. If he's got a sheep, falls into a pit, falls into a ditch, gets hurt, they're going to take care of that sheep, even if it's the Sabbath. Why? Because, because that's, that's the good thing to do. That's the right thing to do, to take care of a creature that's suffering. And also, that, that sheep's a financial investment. Right? You're not going to just let it suffer. You're going to take care of that because it's valuable to you. Right? If you, if you crash your car on, on Sunday, you're still going to call AAA. Right? That, that's the sense here. Right? It, it's important to you. It's valuable to you. Um, you value it enough, and it's important enough that it merits some kind of exception to the rule about not working on the Sabbath day. So they, as soon as Jesus asks that question, he really has them, doesn't he? Um, uh, he, he goes on, he says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is, is I think, righteously indignant here with them. This should be so obvious, so clear. A human being is the image of God. Man is made in the image of God. There is this man here with his withered hand, this crippled hand, and he's suffering. He's in pain. And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, uh, he's got this disability. And you're, you're just using him for an argument to trap me? Of course it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Of course it's right to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus turns to this poor man and he says, stretch out your hand. The man can't stretch out his hand. But Jesus says, stretch out your hand. He stretches out his hand and it's healed. Just like that. The Pharisees should be delighting, right? They should be so happy that Jesus healed this man. They, they should be delighted that he's done this. They should be in awe of Jesus' power once again on display and his compassion for the, for the needy. But what do they do? They go out and they plot how they can destroy him, how they can kill him. He's exposed their pride. He's exposed their sin. He's exposed their hypocrisy. Um, um, and, and, and again, we see just the, the intensity of the irony here. They are so upset about someone healing on the Sabbath, but they go out and plot to kill on the Sabbath. Who's the real Sabbath breaker here? See, the, 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 the crux of the issue for the Pharisees here is that they've completely misunderstood what the Sabbath is for, what the point is of the Sabbath. They've refused to accept it. For, for them, the Sabbath is about themselves. It's about self-righteousness. It's an identity marker. This is who we are. You wear it like a badge. This is who I am. Not like those other people who don't keep the Sabbath. I'm a Jew. Right? I, 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 this is what I do. I go to the synagogue. Right? It's about building up their own pride. That is not the point of the Sabbath, Jesus is telling them. What is the point of the Sabbath? How would you answer that? What's the point of the Sabbath? Maybe you'd turn in your Bibles uh, as you're thinking through this. Maybe you'd say, well, let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Right? Because that's where the Lord institutes the Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That's where the Lord, after He finishes up those first six days of creation, rests on the seventh day. 
It's not that he's tired from his work of creation. It's that he is, he is entering into his reign as sovereign king over everything he's made, and he's delighting in what he's made, and he's done with the work. It's finished, and he's enjoying the finished product of his creation. And we see there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work. So this is where we see from the very beginning, before the fall into sin, right there in creation, God uh, gives the seventh day to man as a holy day of rest and worship, as, as an invitation to man to, uh, to taste something of God's rest that God has entered into. Where else, where else will we go? thinking about the point of the Sabbath. Well, go forward in Scripture a bit. You come to Exodus chapter 20, right? The Ten Commandments. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and that you shall do no work. Why? Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So in the Ten Commandments, which are a summary of God's moral law for his people, his unchangeable moral law, he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. He sets it in stone, writes it in stone. Keep the Sabbath day holy as a day of rest. So what's the Sabbath for? What's what's the point of the Sabbath? Well, it it marks out God's rest, finishing his creation. Uh, It's a day for us to rest from our work and to enjoy him, worship him, and... uh, and, and to desire the rest that he, that he promises to give in himself. But there's more. Scripture goes on to tell us more about the Lord's Day, about the point of the Sabbath. There's another Ten Commandments. Um, there's, another, uh, there's another addition in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where most of the commandments are exactly the same as in Exodus 20, but in the commandment about the Sabbath day, there's a slight shift in the reason why you should keep the day holy. Deuteronomy 5.15, God has commanded obedience to his Sabbath day, and then in 5.15 he says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath this day. Interesting. So there we get something else added to what the Sabbath is for. Right? It, it's, it's a commemoration of redemption, not, not just creation and God's rest there, but also freedom from slavery to sin, right? being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's grace. It's about resting from sin and the, uh, the, the slavery we have to sin and being, being, being brought into God's salvation rest. So the Sabbath is about, is about these things. One more. If you continue working through your Bible, you'll see more things about the Sabbath come up. But in Hebrews chapter 4, as the writer looks over the pages of the Old Testament and uh, what the Sabbath was about there, he sees this theme of rest brought out throughout the Old Testament. And he, 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 um, he notes that God redeemed his people not to just make them his slaves, but to make them his children and to bring them into rest. Bring them into the promised land. Their rest. Over and over, you see this in the book of Joshua, you see it in Deuteronomy. Uh, the promised land is called, is called the place of rest. It's, it's, it's identified as their rest. Um, 
And, and the author to the Hebrews, as he looks at this, says there, there remains a Sabbath rest. There remains a rest for God's people. This, this rest that's ahead of us, this heavenly promised land that's ahead of us. Right? This, is, this is the rest that we are made, this is the inheritance that we are destined for in Christ. It's this eternal Sabbath rest beyond where you're freed from the, 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 the sin and misery that plagues you in this life. That most of all, is what the Sabbath is about, what the Sabbath is for, um, that eternal Sabbath when we will be with him forever, be with our Lord forever. All right, so take all that about the Sabbath, bring it into this scene in the synagogue, Jesus and the Pharisees, the point Jesus is making. What is Jesus doing? He's establishing the kingdom, right? He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the year of the Lord's favor. He's bringing perfect peace and rest. Shalom, right? Everlasting rest. He's bringing, he's, 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 he's inaugurating eternal rest. Eternal Sabbath. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Sabbath is at hand. With Jesus coming. Every Sabbath of the Old Testament was just a shadow pointing forward to what Jesus would bring. It's all been pointing to Him. And, and, and now the eternal Sabbath rest that He brings is dawning. The, the, the bright colors of that dawn are streaking across the sky as Jesus heals and teaches and proclaims the kingdom of heaven and says, come to Me, all who labor, and I'll give you rest. The Sabbath is beginning. And the Pharisees are standing there, stubborn in their blindness, accusing Him right, of... of, of, of stepping on their petty little traditions when he is bringing in the Sabbath that has been the whole point all along. It's like, a, it's like imagine you have someone who, who is engaged to be married, but they don't want to get married. They're so fixated on this idea of being engaged that they don't want the marriage. That's what they're doing. What about us? What about ourselves? Again, bring this, bring this back to your own heart. Are you making the same mistake that they were making with the Sabbath, with the whole Old Testament? Um, um, looking at the commands God gives, the Sabbath among them, as being more about yourself, bolstering your pride, helping your own sense of self-righteousness, right? That badge you wear, this is who I am. Um, rather than being about devotion to Him, gratitude to Him, love to Him, a relationship with Him. And in particular, do think about the Sabbath, right? Is your Sabbath-keeping about Jesus and His kingdom? Is He the center of it for you? Now, you might think, well, wait a second, Pastor. You just said Jesus was, he was beginning the, uh, the eternal Sabbath. So, does that mean that all those Old Testament Sabbaths are done away with? That this commandment to, to keep the Sabbath day holy, Jesus has come, so we don't need that commandment anymore, right? Or the eternal Sabbath has begun. So this, this command is kind of an Old Testament thing, to keep the Sabbath, right? We don't have to keep the earthly weekly Sabbath because all of life is a Sabbath in Jesus, right? Wrong. <laughs> Not quite right. Why? You can say you can make the same argument about marriage. Actually, creation ordinance points to Christ. Christ comes. Is it done away with? Of course not. 
We wouldn't say that about marriage. Why do we say it about the Sabbath? Creation ordinance, been pointing to Christ all along. It won't be done away with until he not only has inaugurated his kingdom, but consummated it. Then marriage will be done away with. Then the earthly Sabbath will be as well. We'll enter our eternal rest uh, in heaven with the Lord. Jesus has started the kingdom. He's inaugurated the kingdom. The new creation is dawning as he comes and proclaims his kingdom. But it's not yet high noon, right? That the consummation hasn't come yet. It's, um, and so we still have the Sabbath. The command still applies. It's still part of God's order of creation. And it's still something, part of the Ten Commandments, the unchanging moral law of God for his people. Um, so, yeah, we still have the Sabbath. In fact, you could say we have the Sabbath even more so now that Christ has come and, and uh, given us uh, right, the Sabbath on the first day of the week to mark his resurrection and the beginning of this new creation. We have the Sabbath, we must keep the Sabbath, and we need the Sabbath, don't we? We're like Israel in the wilderness, right? In this in-between period, we've been freed from Egypt. We're not yet in the Promised Land. We're traveling through the wilderness, and uh, we, 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 we know that the rest is coming. Jesus has said, come to me, I'll give you rest. We taste the, the, the beginnings of that now, but we're longing for more of that still to come. So the eternal Sabbath rest is still ahead of us. We have to strive after it, and in the meantime, keep the Sabbath day holy. So brothers and sisters, as we close, what should we do with all this? Two things. Number one, repent of your Sabbath breaking. The command to keep the Sabbath is still a command. And we break it, don't we? We break it all the time. Every Lord's Day. All of us. We let our work bleed into this day that God says don't work. We let other things bleed in and crowd out the things we should be doing. We try to turn it into another Saturday projects and recreations and these other things and they steal our attention from the things we should be on. But you know what? You can also break the Sabbath even when you're coming to worship in the morning, coming to worship in the evening and reading the Puritans all afternoon. Because, because you might still be like, like the Pharisees were doing it you know, for your own sake. This is who I am. Wearing that badge of your own self-righteousness. Doing it for your own pride's sake. Uh, and, uh, the, and you can still be doing these things and, and, and your, your devotion to the Lord say has nothing to do with the Lord of that day, Jesus. So, repent. Whatever kind of, of disobedience is yours, repent of it. And go to the Lord of the Sabbath and, and, and He'll give you rest. He'll give you that forgiveness and that, and that, that freedom from that sin. And uh, he, he, uh, he Himself laid down His life to forgive you of this. And He's given you His record of righteousness to cover all your sinful Sabbath breaking. So trust in Him and rest in Him. Um, Repent and trust in the Lord Jesus and in His righteousness. That's the first thing. The second thing. Run to Jesus, the rest giver, and take up His yoke. Right? We just saw this last week. He says, come to Me and I'll give you rest. And He says, take My yoke upon you and follow Me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we come to Jesus to receive grace and rest freely, but we also come to Him to follow Him fully. And that includes keeping the Sabbath. 
So even as you confess Sabbath breaking, for, uh, then turn and say, Lord, help me, give me grace now to keep the Sabbath out of a heart of gratitude, uh, out, of, out of love for you, out of devotion to you. Um, uh, uh, treat the Lord's Day as the Lord's Day. Set it apart for worship. Set it apart for works of mercy. Isn't that what Jesus commands in the text here? Right? It is lawful to do good on this day. So get, give yourselves to, uh, to, to coming to worship with all your heart on the Lord's day. And give yourself the whole day to the works that are, that are best on this day. Worship, mercy, hospitality. Don't do it for yourself, but do it for your Lord Jesus. And do it with your eyes lifted up um, on that rest that's coming. That this is just a picture of. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have given us this rich feast of a Sabbath day where we can be strengthened in grace for the pilgrim road heavenward. We pray that you would, uh, that you would continue your good work in us. We pray that you work in our hearts at the level of willing and doing, that we might be wholehearted in our devotion and obedience to you. Keep us from hypocrisy. Keep us from pride. Keep us humble, O Lord, as we faithfully follow after you. We ask it by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Uh, our next hymn is.